Du lytter nu til Musikpedpodden. Dette er en podcast som tar upp aktuelle tema i det musikpedagogiske forskningsfeltet. Hej og velkommen til dagens episode av Musikpedpodden, som også i dag foregår på engelsk med internationella gäster. Welcome to Musikpedpodden, a podcast about music education research from the Western Norway University of Applied Sciences. My name is Katarina Kristoffersen. I am professor of music education and I am one of the editors of this podcast. In our last episode, Alva Kenny from Ireland, Judy Lewis from the US and myself talked about the Future Ed project and how certain issues emerged through the project, such as how educators and pre-service teachers can be the main obstacles for changes they themselves want to affect, and how demanding and complex music classrooms can be. In today's episode, we are going to address a few overarching issues concerning music teacher education that have emerged from the Future Ed project, and particular related to educational change. And with me today, I have two guests, Martin Fatli and Heidi Parti, and I will let you introduce yourself. So Martin, why don't you start? Sure. Hello. I'm Martin Fortley. I'm Professor of Education at Birmingham City University, which is in England in the UK. Um, and I've been involved with the Future Ed project on the um, on the scientific advisory board. So my background is in working in schools as a teacher and then in university as someone who works on teacher preparation courses. And I also research music education, particularly assessment and composing. Heidi? Yes. Hello, everyone. And uh, I'm professor of music education at the Sibers Academy of the University of the Arts Helsinki in Finland. And I, in this future project, I have been a visiting researcher and I was mainly in the group where we examined the role of music technology in schools and, and teach education. And this is also a topic that has, has been a part of my research interests uh, ever since I began my, my doctoral studies almost 15 years ago. So um, future future ed was about music teacher education. Obviously, it's uh, it, future ed is short for music teacher education for the future. Um, and music teacher education is a notion that could mean different things in different countries and related to different contexts. So in Norway, you may very well be hired to work as a music teacher in schools um, with no formal qualifications. But since we're talking about education in this podcast, um, there are different educational paths that can spiral you towards teaching music in schools. For example, um, we have specialist music teacher programs as well as the possibility to add a pedagogical exam on top of a performance degree. However, the most common background for teaching music in schools is the music programs of primary and lower secondary teacher education. And Teacher education in Norway is currently a five-year program with an integrated master's degree. And music could then be one of your subjects as part of that degree, even your major subject. But that's Norway. And I am curious to learn about teacher education in your countries. So how do you qualify to become a teacher in Finland, Heidi? Yeah, so I have to say first that, that typically music instruction in schools is organized so that, that general classroom teachers provide music instruction in primary schools. So that's grades from uh, one through six. And then uh, these classroom teachers hold a master's degree in general education. 
And then in lower secondary, so uh, grades seven through nine and upper secondary school, uh, music is taught by a specialized music subject teacher and they hold a master's degree in music education. And there are three universities in Finland where you can study music education and my university uh, is, is one of them. And uh, it's probably good to mention that uh, teaching in, in schools in Finland is quite decentralized. That means that we have a, a core curriculum for basic education that kind of provides a common basis for, for school teaching, but, but it leaves plenty of autonomy for teachers to decide upon the contents and, and kind of pedagogical approaches that they want to use in their teaching practice. So that's why we, we think it's quite important that teachers have a master's degree um, as they, they kind of need not only music-specific skills and knowledge, but also very deep understanding and ex- experience in pedagogy and, and critical thinking and research skills and so on and so forth. So how is this working in England then, Martin? Um, if you could see my face, you could see me smiling wryly whilst Heidi was speaking there, because in England it's almost the opposite of that. Um, and I'm sure that more aspects of that will come out as I talk. But in England, the situation, the, the teaching situation is is not dissimilar to Finland. Primary school music is taught by the generalist classroom teacher. And the generalist classroom teacher will either have done a three-year qualification that gives them qualified teacher status or they will have done a degree in something else and they'll do a one-year postgraduate qualification that then converts them into being a primary school teacher. For secondary school um, there are, I was going to say there are no but there might be one or two but they're very unusual undergraduate routes. It's nearly always a postgraduate one-year route after you've done a music degree to then learn to be a teacher in the secondary school situation. The reason for my for you not being able to see me smiling wryly um, is that uh, uh, famously, Edison Childs have said that, um, that England now has the most tightly regulated and centrally controlled system of initial teacher education anywhere in the world. And it is a very tightly controlled system. It doesn't just happen in universities because Uh, in our context with a neoliberal government, they're not actually that keen on universities. They're much more keen that teachers learn reality from going to work in a school um, and seeing what the reality is like and not being, as they would see it, infected by our university ways of thinking. So I'll probably stop there because otherwise I could take the entire podcast talking about the English situation. Okay, good. Um, it, it sounds from what you're saying that uh, Norway is somewhere in between. Um, not as uh, free as uh, the situation is not as free as in Finland, but certainly not as regulated as in England. But I'm sure we we will touch upon these issues as we speak. Um, uh, we've heard in earlier episodes that Future Ed was a normative project and normativity simply told is is about how something should be. Um, and that implies some kind of change because if, if we're not where we should be, then something needs to change, right? Um, and an important goal for the whole project was indeed to try and affect some kind of change in music teacher education. Um, but aiming for educational change, that's difficult, uh, it's complicated, and it could also be Controversial. So let's see if we can unpack some aspects of change together. 
Um, uh, Back to the Future Ed project, it started from the idea that Norwegian music teacher education programs were in need of change. And the basis for those claims were both experiential and research-based. So um, from our experience as educator, as well as international research in music education, we learned that there is, is an inherent conservatism within music teacher education, among other things, based on considerable influence from conservatory traditions. And this is, of course, something that not everybody would agree on, that the, this is a problem. So the vantage point for the whole project could, of course, be contested. So with that in mind, I am going to spring um, a very a direct question on you here. Um, sorry for being blunt. Does music teacher education really need to change? Haiti, what do you think? Well, I would say yes and no, <laughs> depending Good. on what we mean by change. Um, it, it seems to me that there are voices outside the educational field that would like to often impose change, especially in schools, in the name of development. And I'm not sure if these stakeholders regard um, or or what these stakeholders can regard as as necessary or urgent reforms are always for the better of the school or or the pupils or, or the teachers. And sometimes the agenda seems to have more to do with ensuring the well-being of the labor market and economy than the, the well-being of, of our children. Um, so I think in that sense, it is our task in the educational field to have a healthy criticality uh, to what this kind of, what I would call instrumentalization of education uh, that comes in this kind of name of, of demand for change. So I'm not saying that the school and other educational institutions should not adapt to the changing world. On the contrary, I'm sure we will talk about this today more, but but we mustn't forget the wider aims of education. Um, for instance, in, in our national core curriculum, uh, one of the key objectives of school instruction is to support students' growth as human beings and, and as ethically responsible members of society. So I think it really is important to determine the need for change against these kinds of wider goals of education. Okay, Martin, um, why don't you jump in? Does music teacher education need to change? Yes, I think it does. And I I think it needs to change in order to reflect the fact that we are in an ever-changing world and that music itself hasn't stood still. We can listen to the music of, to pick a name at random, Mozart, but we can also listen to the music of, um, of, of people who only wrote a song yesterday. Uh, and that song written yesterday might not sound like Mozart's Symphony in G minor. And the two are very different. And one of the things that music needs to decide, music education, and I, th- I think I'm really talking about England here, is, is it an introduction to the canon or is it an introduction to the practice? And music practices can be very, very different across styles and genres. And there are multiple styles and genres. So I think one of the things that we need to think about is what are we actually teaching music for? So what are our reasons for teaching music? And I think we need to explore these in 
teacher preparation programs because if we don't explore them with teachers in their teacher preparation programs, once they once they leave the hallowed walls of the university or wherever they're teaching, they will be far too busy to reflect on deep, meaningful questions as to why am I doing this? And my point has always been, uh, we've taken Mozart, if, if we don't reflect on that, we'll just end up teaching like Mozart's dad taught him. <laughs> and I think things have slightly changed in the intervening period. Um, and so I wouldn't like to put Mozart's dad on teaching practice in an inner city school in, in anywhere, really. So I do think we need to think about it, reflect on it and change. Okay, so we seem to be in agreement that there are issues that needs to be dealt with. Um, but as Heidi mentioned, there is this notion of change itself. What what do we mean by that and how can we bring it about? And uh, an article from the project was recently published in the journal ACT, which is short for Action, Criticism and Theory in Music Education. Um, and in this article, we I say we because I was one of the authors, um, we uh, conceptualize and discuss change in music teacher education. Um, and in the article, uh, we explored and discussed several intersecting dimensions of change, such as values and traditions, demographics, educational practices, curricula, even social change. Um, and within the Future Ed project, we have discussed change quite a bit. Um, and Martin and Heidi, you have read the article that I mentioned. So um, I would like to invite both of you to highlight some aspect of change that is mentioned in that article and to share a few reflections uh, on that. So why don't you start, Martin? What would you like to highlight about change? Yeah, I think one of the things that I, I found really interesting in the article was the idea of hegemony and of valuing types of music. So um, hegemony, axiology and valorization, which I appreciate are quite complex terms. And I also appreciate I'm a native English speaker. So I'll try and unpack them a little bit. But it's, it's to do with the sorts of music that is valued. And if I may, I'm going to quote directly from the article that you wrote, because there was a, a, a sentence that leapt out at me. And here we go, I'm quoting now. The repertoires and teaching practices of music teacher curricula in much of the Western world have a historical foundation in classical music, an art form that, by and large, has been regarded as autonomous and neutral, and neutral is in inverted commas, even if it is predominantly practiced by the white middle class and reproduces its classed values. And classed values, again, is in inverted commas. Uh, end quote. And, and for me, that, that leapt out as a really important aspect of, of what the article is talking about. And something that I, I do worry about, because there is a danger in England, and again, I'm being very specific, that if you have a music degree, then this will be the foundation of that which you have been successful at. And there will be lots and lots of kids that you meet in the classrooms who have not necessarily been successful in classical music. This doesn't mean I don't think they should be either disregarded or worse still, marginalised. And I don't necessarily think that, to use the phrases of the article that you, you guys wrote, the foundation in classical music is necessarily something that either culturally or societally they would recognise. And so I think that's something that music teacher preparation 
really does need to address and think about, especially with 21st mantras like inclusivity and every child matters and all these other phrases, if we are simply going to revert to a very simplistic form of classed music, then I, I would be very worried by that. So, so for me, one of, the, <clears throat> one of the big takeaways from the article was the idea of what is valued and who is doing the valuing. So I think there's some, some really important things in there. And there's another quote I'm going to, again, read directly. When you guys wrote, ideally, the various cultural groups making up the fabric of society should feel represented in the curriculum, which rightfully raises concern about representation and cultural belonging in the curricula of schools and teacher education. And for me, that, that is so important, this representation. If, if, if whole swathes and groups of children don't see themselves represented in the curriculum, then the music education curriculum becomes other and if it becomes other, they will say this isn't for me. So I think there's an awful lot in in the art. Well, there's an awful lot in the article anyway. So yeah, really interesting piece. But that that's the bit that I'm I'm worrying about at the moment. Can I jump in with a question or or a comment? Um, because I was thinking, um, uh, curriculum never stands alone. Um, if we if we're thinking about curriculum as repertoire, then repertoire never stands alone. Um, or is never isolated. It's it's always ingrained in our practices and the way we teach. And um, in the Nordic countries, um, there seems to be, uh, like several authors have discussed, sort of an inverted hegemony where popular music has taken over the place of classical music. But that doesn't necessarily mean that we teach it differently. Hmm. Um, Heidi, you're nodding. Would you like to elaborate? Yeah, I think yeah, that's a very good good example of how changing curriculum uh, is not enough. <laughs> I mean, it, it is necessary, but we also need to look into our practices, our values, our attitudes. And, and something that I picked up from the article is probably a little bit related to this, um, because one of the characteristics of, of, of music teacher education programs that may hinder or or even slow down the the programs in in responding to the changing society and the, the needs of our students uh, is this tendency to focus on musical content and the transmission of of musical content as as it was stated in the article and this may lead to a situation where we're kind of holding on to the past and and kind of. Uh, try to preserve our musical or pedagogical traditions and and that becomes more important than than being sensitive to the needs of this present world and, and kind of imagining different ways of of doing things and <clears throat> there may be several reasons for for this but i think one element is probably the the long tradition that we have uh, of of this kind of master apprentice approach that is still very much present in our music educational contexts. Uh, we we have this kind of long and well established understanding of expertise that that sees the teacher or educator as as the expert or master whose task and responsibility it is to to act as a gatekeeper of skills and knowledge, 
and, and then transmit this expertise to the next generation. And this is not necessarily a bad approach in itself, but I just think that, that in this world of constant change and, and wicked problems, this kind of hierarchical approach to learning can be very problematic and too limited because we have come to the point where our, our old ways of thinking and doing things and living this life clearly don't work anymore. Uh, and, and especially the ecological and societal issues that we are facing are too complicated. And, and, and if we want to tackle them, this requires new kind of learning and new kind of thinking, new visions and, 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 and capacity to imagine new kinds of ways of, of living. And, and this, as, as it's pointed out in the article, is, is something that, that we need collaboration for. Uh, and, and one of the important contributions of this future ed um, project, I think, is that, that it showed how, how change is not merely about kind of educational or curricular reformations, uh, but, but it is kind of, a, and I quote, a transformative capacity built on co-construction and collaboration. So what I'm, what I'm trying to say here is that, that we, we need this kind of shift from this master-apprentice approach to, to collaboration, which is often very complex and messy and even painful, and, and especially for us educators and educational institutions, because we're so used to our expert position, and we quite like the order and clarity and predictability. So, so this is, I think, one of the major challenges for us in, in music teacher education, uh, uh, and, and especially in the face of our current crisis, uh, that, that how do we manage to change our own thinking and our institutional systems so that, that, that we could open spaces for our students to take the role as co-constructors of, of education and to become creators rather than merely consumers of, of knowledge. Um. This is uh, interesting because it leads on to something that I uh, really wanted to discuss with you. Um, but first, I uh, before that, I need to take advantage of the fact that we have an assessment expert uh, with us here today. Martin, you have worked a lot with assessment. Um, and I was just thinking about the, the role of assessment uh, when it comes to cementing practices and, and repertoires. Um, is there something... How can assessment practices be part of a change in music teacher education, for example? Yes, I, I think one of the important things about assessment is that as music educators, we really need to think about who is the assessment for. And I, I, I've said this for many years. I'm, in some ways, what the assessment is might be of secondary consideration. What we want to know is who is it for? Is it for the, is it for the children and young people? In other words, is it going to help them improve in their music making? In which case, I think that assessment will take a very distinctive form. Is it to put a number in a spreadsheet that we then give to somebody somewhere higher up in a more important office? In which case, that assessment is a very different sort of thing from the one for the children. Or is it an assessment for us as music educators to know how well we've taught a particular topic. And so I think 
in its simplest, there are three audiences for the assessments that we do. And I, I would want teachers to be very clear on which. If you're trying to help a child get better at something, it doesn't seem to me, at least, to be very helpful to say, yes, okay, you've just played me your piece of music, I'm going to give you 58%. Right, who's next? I'm going to now listen to them, and I gave them 62%. I don't think that tells the children anything at all about either their music or, importantly, what they can do to improve. However, it might satisfy somebody in an office on the top floor that they've got a spreadsheet with numbers in the little boxes. So I think what we need to think about is what is the assessment for and what is going to be done with the information? So if you're helping children with a performance, it's much more useful to give them very, very specific feedback, that's a key assessment word, so that they know what they can do rather than just giving them a random mark that you've possibly conjured out of thin air and then moves on to the next one, simply because as a teacher, if you haven't given the top floor your grades by Friday afternoon, you know you're going to be in trouble. So I think there's a lot of issues for assessment that, that we need, and it's a very long, convoluted topic because it then also gets bound up with politics, and I'm sure that's somewhere else that, um, should we have two or three hours to explore, we could unpick. So maybe we need to have another episode next year about this. Um, well, it, it sort of ties into what Heidi was saying, because um, you have uh, yourself described what's called assessment backwash, Martin. So it's it's where you um, assess what you're able to assess, which then becomes important, right? Um, and, and so this whole idea of how uh, how, for example, can we assess differently that um, in a way that is more open-ended, uh, which leads me over to my um, next topic, because one of the issues we debated a lot in the project, and which is also mentioned in, in this article, is the consequence of normativity um, when it comes to change. Because if you want something to change, then Uh, change is often driven by a vision of what that change could or should be. Um, and education in itself, uh, we could say, is fundamentally about change. So that is clearly normative in many ways. But there are obvious and particular challenges that uh, arise in the slipstream of normativity. And, for example, the desire to take specific actions to achieve specific changes through education. Um And the desire for change has then turned into an ends-driven or teleological approach to education. And the complex complexity that we have mentioned um, also today and in earlier episodes is then ignored or shut down in an attempt to control the outcomes of education or to domesticate the uncertainty that, that we may perhaps want. So uh, a pertinent question then is how can we facilitate change within music teacher education um, if that what comes out of that change uh, should be open and unknown? It's a tricky question, but who would like to say something about that? Well, maybe uh, like so many things in education, I think this kind of comes back to the question of of why <laughs> rather than how. So, so what is the wider aim of education or aims? 
if if our starting point is that how 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 we will make sure that we will have a world worth living in tomorrow and 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 how how to, how we prepare our students to live well in that world um then maybe sometimes i wonder whether we kind of highlight change and unpredictability too much and i i mean by this that that I, of course i realize that the, the world has changed and is changing in an enormous pace uh, and as globalization further accelerates this pace and intensity of change but but also i think basic needs of human beings have have not changed and, and even our brain is ancient and it, it has not in, evolved nearly as rapidly as our, as our living environment so i think it's very likely that our children and young people will have pretty much the same basic needs tomorrow as today. So in the context of kind of global ecological and societal crisis, I think we 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 need to take care of not only these kind of basic human needs, but also the, the planetary needs and the well-being of all living things. So even when we don't know exactly how tomorrow looks like, I think we can make decisions on the kind of general direction where we are heading towards. And, and in this regard, I, I see only two options, whether we continue on autopilot and kind of business as usual model and head towards ecological catastrophe, or we start to make some fundamental changes today so that we will have a world tomorrow that is worth living in and, 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 and people who can live there and, and have good life. So the question then is, uh, are we educating music teachers that are um, prepared to do the work that you're talking about, or are we teaching them to fiddle while uh, Rome burns, so to speak? That's, I'm just going to let that hang there. <laughs> But uh, Martin, how can we... Um, How can we facilitate change in a more open way, or or does change need to be open? Haiti just problematized that. What do you think? Um, I'm I'm sitting here in England, feeling very jealous of the prospect of open change in education. Um, I'm going to quote from Ellis and Childs again when they say the English education state wants control, as much control as it can lever through a tight assemblage of multiple policies from the macro level of student numbers and financial models down to the micro level of what an individual teacher educator does and says in a training session and what books and articles they recommend. So I, I'm living in a situation where the government wants very tight control. Your fellow Norwegian music educator, Magna Espeland, I can't remember the exact quote, said something about controlling knowledge and then controlling curriculum has some future impact on the ways that people think. And I, I think this is how our government is thinking, that it, it's it's moving towards a very, we would say, Orwellian big brother control of thought through the curriculum. And this doesn't just apply to music education, but across the piece. So I'm very envious of the idea of an open possibility for changing music education when my colleagues who work absolutely full-time, 100%, are, are basically having everything they do very closely scrutinized. So I do think we need change. And one of the changes we need is to really think about exactly as Haiti said, 
what's going to happen in the future because if, if we just carry on as we are I can safely say it hasn't actually been a world beating success um, in, in what's been going on so I'm, I'm very sorry government if one of your agents is listening into this podcast and I can expect a knock on the door at 3am but it's, it's really quite worrying about what is it that we're doing why are we doing it and importantly who is giving us permission to do or not do things which is a very long-winded way round the me responding to your question there. So apologies for that. I've, I think I've taken myself on a detour via the Arctic Circle to go to the capital. But um, the ex- uh, situation in England might be extreme um, in that respect that you're describing, but still the questions you're raising is still universal. I think uh, that when you're discussing change, you really need to consider also ethical aspects uh, of it, uh, you know, aspects regarding representation. Who is it for? Why? Who says it is important? And and so on. Um, towards the end, could you just say something? I see time is flying. So could you just say something briefly about the relevance of the Future Ed project and findings to your own music teacher educational contexts? Heidi, why don't you start? Well, I, I think it's always very useful when people come together, <laughs> uh, especially from different contexts, from different countries, uh, and and to work towards a common goal to to learn with each each other and from each other, um, and of course there's obvious fruit, new new viewpoints, new findings in form of published articles and conference presentations and so on. But I think it's also equally important. It, the the ways the collaboration 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 changes uh, us who who were involved in the project. I know that I'm not the same scholar or educator than I was when the project began, and and this is to a great extent due to the discussions and conversations and and moments of confusion and new ideas that we shared in the project. Um, and I think, like we've said in this podcast, that almost all work in future ed was somehow related to change. But our, our task was not merely theoretical, because working together forced us to 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 practice dialogue and and listening, and it it showed us that change is complex and and complicated and and sometimes even painful. And I hope that because I had to face the resistance in me <laughs> uh, towards change, that is something that hopefully will help me uh, in my own work. Uh, it's not not a bad idea to to face these these dark sides of yourself and 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 hopefully help me to to have more grace towards others next time I find myself being frustrated with the slowness of of change. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> Great reflection. So, uh, Martin, I'm hoping that uh, Future Ed has provided you with some uh, resistance or some ideas of resistance um, towards your situation. Why? Um, what is the relevance of the Future Ed project to your context? I, I think the relevance of Future Ed has, has been, well, there's been many relevances and Hades out, outlined a number of them. But as well as that, I feel that one of the um, one of the effects of getting groups of music educator and music teacher educators from across different countries is to simply lift you out of your own context. 
and to have conversations with other people that run along the lines, oh, you do it like that, do you? That's really interesting. We don't do it like that at all. Or we do bits of that, but we don't do anything like that. And your people do what? Why on earth do you do that? And then somebody says to you, you do what? Why on earth do you do that? And and it's those abrupt coming up against something that really makes you, you think. And it, it's a bit like driving up the fast lane of a motorway and you accidentally select a low gear because suddenly you've, you've got to work out what's going on. So there's, there's some really interesting interactions. And I think that this is really important, that, that we do have these interactions. And one of the things about Future Ed, for me, has been really making me think about contextual relevance. Um, and, and there was something about that in, in the way that Future Ed was, was set up when you guys said music teacher education is contextual, political, and linked to issues of equity and justice. And I think that contextual thing is really interesting. What are these different contexts? How are the various forms of teacher education meeting them or not? What have we got in common? And what have we got that's different? And I think those sorts of conversations are really, really important to have. And so I think a great thing in Future Ed has been to do that, to to open the outside door and let all sorts of ideas in rather than just sit in the corner of the room and talk to each other. I think that's been absolutely great. So in the spirit of collaboration that Heidi was talking about. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you, Martin Fortley from England and Heidi Parti from Finland for sharing your reflections on change in music teacher education with us. Um, that was all from us in today's episode of Musikpedpodden, a podcast about music education research from Western Norway University of Applied Sciences. So if you would like to know more about the Future Ed project, just Google Music Teacher Education for the Future or Future Ed, F-U-T-U-R-E-D, and the project website should be your top search result. Thanks for listening to this final episode in 2023. We will be back with more episodes uh, in 2024. Åter vår norske lytterer så vil jeg si at det var alt for i år fra Musikpedpodden. Med denne podcasten har vi i 2023 formidlet resultater fra Future Ed-prosjektet som blev gjennomført av forskere fra Høgskolen på Vestlandet og OsloMet. Future Ed er ferdig, men Musikpedpodden består. Vi er tilbake med nye og interessante episoder om musikpedagogisk forskning i januar. På vegne av redaktionen vil jeg si takk for følge så langt. Vi høres til neste år.